then I'll open it to you for your comments and questions. Uh, what do you do about ancestral sin? You just renounce it. You know, it, it's almost that simple. In the early church, uh, at least for the first couple hundred years in the history of the church, uh, it was just assumed that everybody's coming out of paganism, out of the devil's kingdom. Uh, Paul said he was sent to bring people to open their eyes, to bring them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And they said if they're coming out of Satan's power, and coming into a new realm of power, they need to renounce that. So on baptism day, they would get in the water and turn to the west and say, Satan, I renounce you and all of your works and all of your ways. Uh, Ambrose tells us, uh, or we're told, that Ambrose used to make them spit in the devil's face uh, uh, as well. But uh, then they turn the other way and say, Lord Jesus, I give myself to you for your worship and service. Or uh, it's not a formulaic statement, but the idea that they were clearly moving from one sphere of power to another sphere of power. And in before that, they all went through exorcism. You know, the bishop prayed over all of them, and uh, they just said, we're going to make sure that there are no demons coming with you from all that stuff that we were in before. But today, we don't ascribe demonic activity to all of the sin we're involved in. We don't link the two, and we figure we can just kind of waltz in and, and forget all that stuff. And uh, unfortunately, many Christians come into the kingdom as incubator babies at best, because uh, they haven't really dealt with uh, even sometimes with their own personal sin, let alone with ancestral sin. So uh, in the Steps to Freedom, Step 7 uh, deals with this issue, and uh, I just urge you to do it. Uh, I know some people who do that uh, first or second. And let me say about the Steps to Freedom that they're not sequential. They're simply seven areas of sin that you need to deal with, or bondage in your life that you need to deal with. You can deal them in any area. We've gone through it and got stuck at one place, so we went on and did the others and then came back and dealt with it. And once you get freedom down here, then you can get freedom back here. So uh, don't get in bondage to methodology again. You know, let the Lord uh, lead you in that. All right, uh, we were instructed to save at least the last half hour, so here we go. Yes, sir. Well, I, I believe it means the consequences of sin. Oh, yes, what the question is, uh, when the scriptures say that uh, uh, God visits the sins of the parents on the children of the third and fourth generation, uh, what does iniquity mean? Uh, well, in, in, in sins or iniquity, uh, uh, if it doesn't mean guilt, you mean? If, uh, I, I think it means consequences, as I've said. I think that it means that sin... Is, is the sin and the consequences, and they're linked together. And uh, you don't have you don't have the guilt for that. That's the person who committed the sin. But the consequences that were started have to be dealt with. It's like if you murdered a person, uh, you know, you've got guilt for that murder, and you may turn to Christ and be forgiven, but the person's still dead. You know, the consequences are there. You uh, tell lies about somebody, and you can repent, but the consequences are still there. And so that's my understanding of what we're dealing with. Yes. Okay. Well, Satan will pick up anything he can 
that will create bondage. The, the neighborhood you live in, for example. I grew up as a, a kid of the Depression years. Uh, I was one of eight children. My dad was a plasterer, and there, weren't much, there wasn't much plastering to do during the Depression. We were very poor. There were days when we didn't, I didn't have a ball glove or a bicycle. Uh, well, I'm sorry, there were days when we didn't have food in the house to eat, and I didn't have a ball glove or a bicycle. And you know, I just saw everybody is sort of up here, and I was down here, and I developed what we call a classical inferiority complex. Well, Satan will take that and just keep telling you that you're inferior. Just you know, that stamped me. And to this day, my wife would tell you that probably my biggest struggle is feeling inadequate, feeling like I'm not going to be up to it. Uh, somehow I look at everybody around here and I see Chuck sitting out there and, and you know, he could be teaching this and do a better job than I could. And uh, that's, huh? <laughs> well, you know, uh, or, uh, you know, a parent just has to say to a kid, you dumb kid, you can't do anything right. You know, and uh, the devil will just keep saying that over and over and over and over. Uh, I had a, we had a young lady in our home just recently, and she was sitting there in the Davenport, and my wife and I were talking with her, and I said, uh, you know, if I, if I knew the person that was living inside that body I see sitting over there, would I like her? And she shook her head no. And, and that was, a, you know, basically her problem, that she'd come from a very dysfunctional, abusive background, and uh, Satan was just binding her with that. In fact, she was suicidal. That's the counselor brought her to see us because she was suicidal, and their next move was to take her to the psych ward. Uh, that's the way Satan does it. He, he just has to have some kind of fodder to use. And, you know, your house isn't as good as somebody else's house, so you feel inferior. Uh, what were some of the others that you mentioned? Uh, well, I mean, uh, you mentioned uh, the relaxation and entertainment. Oh. Yeah. Well, well, Satan doesn't want us to. Pardon, oh, yeah. The question is, how does? Uh, uh, thank you. Uh, uh, the statement is that uh, some of the things which uh, cause cultural bondage uh, would be uh, methods of uh, entertainment, uh, music, uh, um, that sort of thing. See, Satan will use anything he can to keep us from meditating on the Word of God day and night. Uh, you know, I would argue that even Christian radio can do that. If you listen to Christian radio all day, but you never get into the Bible and really process that yourself with the Spirit as your guide, you're always depending on Christian radio to present. It's, it's like a fantasy. It's, uh, you don't have to face reality because somebody's pouring a train of thought through your mind. And I'm not... Uh, you know, totally against Christian radio, but I think there is a danger that you can do that. But you can do that, of course, with the world's music, too. You can turn on the local rock station if you, you know, you say you like rock music. Well, I think you need to explore all the implications of rock music because I think there's some real problems with it. Uh, the editor of Rolling Stone magazine was interviewed uh, in, uh, uh, I read this in an airline magazine. It wasn't a Christian publication by any means. And, uh, the question asked him was, what's the difference between the old rock and the new rock? And he said, well, the one thing that hasn't changed is that rebellion's at the heart of it. 
Okay? And it was that generation saying, we're not going to do things your way anymore. We're going to do it our way, whether you like it or not. And we're going to emphasize one and three, uh, two and four beats instead of one and three. And we're going to, you know, just... Uh, uh, there's there a spirit of rebellion built into it. Now, I know I can argue on the other hand that the rock rhythms, if you put them into a symphonic arrangement and you embellish it with all of the instruments of a symphony orchestra and and with good melody and other things that, you know, it's not going to dominate you. But when you reduce your orchestra to a group that's dominated by percussion, you're going to be getting a, a real physical reaction, but you're not going to be getting much of a spiritual reaction. Uh, I would subscribe to the idea that music has three fundamental er uh, areas uh, in it, uh, melody, harmony, and rhythm and that melody would be roughly comparable to the spiritual side of life, harmony to the mental, and uh, rhythm to the physical. And a good balance in music will include all of those elements. Uh, but uh, today, uh, rhythm is definitely king. Uh, we don't sing parts very much anymore. We don't have hymn books uh, with parts written to sing, and if you do know the parts, the people up in the platform are probably playing some different uh, harmonies so that you can't sing the, the harmonies that you learned back in the good old days. Uh, and, uh, and furthermore, uh, harmony takes a lot more thought, and this is part of the dumbing down. You go back to, to Bach and to uh, the counterpoint uh, where you start with one a melody and one voice, and then it establishes that melodic line, and then another voice comes in singing or playing the same melodic line, but now in harmony with what the first voice is still doing, and then a third one comes in, and a fourth one comes in. Wow, I mean, that gets complicated. And uh, to understand that and to follow those melodic lines demands a lot of thought, and we don't like to think. We like it handed out to us pretty easy. So we reduce everything to everybody singing the melody and with a basically rhythm-dominated music that stimulates our flesh so we really feel good about it. And uh, uh, the, the melodies are often not very singable. They're not the, the beautiful kind of melodies that um, would characterize the more romantic kind of music. And I'm not saying everything has to have every one of these elements in it. But I really think our Christian music needs a lot more balance than what we bring to it. And so you can get bound by one musical idiom. And uh, it just it plays on your uh, computer games. Uh, I can confess to you that, I hate to confess to you, but you know, <laughs> you know that I'm surprised at how tempted I am to play a game on the computer. Uh, I never thought that I would you know, would be tempted to do that. But I, I really have to, it's my biggest challenge right now is to not spend time playing a computer game. Uh, it sounds ridiculous to me as I say it, but, you know, it, it's true. And see, Satan will use anything like that to, to get us to waste time or to uh, not have to think about serious things because we're doing entertaining things, fun things. And uh, while you're doing the fun things, you're not processing the deeper things. And it's all part of the dumbing down of our society. The, the, the uh, media does our thinking for us. Kids used to get a toy, and then they would create scenarios to play with the toy. But today they get toys with the scenarios already created for them by the television programs, or by the movies they've seen, or the books they're reading, and they're trying just simply to reproduce somebody else, and, and we're stifling creativity. Uh, we, we didn't have toys. 
uh, our poor family, so we put on our own stage productions and we built our own sets and we did, we made up games and, you know, we had to be creative. We didn't have any alternatives. But the dumbing down of our society has brought people into bondage, I believe, you know, to, to simply reproducing what the, the culture around them is telling them to do and to, to be like. So that's part of the cultural bondage. Yes. Can you um, uh, expand on that a little as far as how you discern, like I'm looking at our city, our region, how you discern some of that overall influence? Well, uh, the question is, uh, talking about territorial spirits, how does that relate to our city, our region in the city? I would refer you to George Otis Jr.'s writings uh, on uh, spiritual mapping. Uh, I know this is a, a, one of those topics that gets a lot of heat uh, generated on the part of those who disagree, but as I've already said, it, it seems to me to be quite uh, obvious from uh, Scripture as to how that operates. Uh, just the general principle that I believe God has his kingdom organized, that it's not a hodgepodge thing, and that he has angels assigned to various jurisdictions throughout the world. It's generally believed that Michael was uh, the archangel of, assigned to Israel, for example, as their guardian angel, and that uh, he has other angels assigned. And Satan is not an originator, he's a counterfeiter, so he just takes what God does for good and he does it for evil and assigns demons. I can't give you chapter and verse, but I would argue that uh, Satan assigns a demon to every one of us to be two things, the instrument of temptation, to know us well enough to know where we're temptable, to know where our weak points are. Satan is only one angel. He can't be everywhere, so it's not correct to say that the devil made me do it or the devil tempted me. It was a, a demon who did it. Uh, and then to know me well enough so that after I die, if someone tries to contact me in a, in a seance, the demon can show up and uh, know me so well, he can give all the secret information and, and deceive people into thinking they're talking to me. So uh, if he does that at that level, uh, it would seem uh, reasonable that he would do it with groups of people. And uh, the research of, of George Otis is just, I think, uh, uh, very conclusive. Uh, I just have great respect for the the level of research that he's done. And if you want some, you know, concrete evidence of this, get his uh, video called Transformations and uh, see the documentation of how Kali Columbia, when they asked the churches in the various segments of Kali Columbia to research what are the spiritual bondages in your area, where where are where is the enemy? holding people into bondage, and how can we use that as a focus for interceding that God will break that power of, of those people? Fantastic things happened in Cali, Columbia. They, they prayed the whole drug cartel out of Cali, Columbia. If you haven't seen that, that film, uh, you know, they had a, a city within a city with a wall about 20 feet high around it, and they had their own theaters and own stores and houses inside this, this wall where they could live in, in their refuge, and the church prayed them out. Uh, there's no way to explain it other than that, that, uh, that uh, it, it was the prayers of, of the people, uh, of God's people that uh, brought that to an end. So, uh, you know, that's my perspective on that.
what are what are, is the cultural idolatry in other places? Uh, in uh, Japan, uh, the ancestor worship, and in China, ancestor worship. Well, any idols, uh, the gods of the nations in in uh, Hindi Hindu uh, society, you know. They've got a god for about everybody in, in Hindu society, and that's just pure idolatry, uh, but it's very bondage-producing. Uh, anything within the culture can become that. Uh, our affluence, I think, is, is of that nature. You know, I walk through our culture, and I, I look at these, our stores, and, you know, with... <laughs> How many different versions of sneakers do we have? You know, when I, when I was a boy, it was whether you bought kids or somebody else's, you know, but they were, they were white tennis shoes or gym shoes, and, you know, that was it. Only in an affluent society can we have a hundred different varieties of, of, of shoes like this. And, you know, this is, it's that way. I look in these department stores, and it just boggles my mind. I don't know how they ever handle the inventory business-wise, but... You know, when I, if I look at it through my African mentality, you know, it, it's just incredible. And yet we think that we deserve it. You know, we're in bondage to affluence, to living at that level. You know, we talk about people being poverty here, but there's probably very few people in poverty in the United States who don't have a television. Uh, and, you know, most of the people in the world, that would be impossible. Who, who's doing a good job of turning that around? Well, I don't know. Uh, any, any of you know anybody is doing a good job of turning that around in a church setting? Well, in, in, the, in the transformation video that you watched, or that you mentioned, uh, him at uh, California. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. Uh, any of those illustrations, but here in the United States, uh, if you haven't seen transformations, get it. You know, uh, out in Hemet, California, uh, it was a, on the surface was a sleepy little re retirement or a sort of semi-rural village, 30 miles off of any freeway in California, and uh, just a sleepy little village. And two pastors were called there, one Baptist and one Pentecostal, and uh, neither one wanted to go. One of them said he didn't even unpack his bags when he got there, hoping that God would let him leave. And uh, and God said, uh, will you uh, commit to me to spend the rest of your life here? <laughs> ah, and God couldn't ask my harder thing. But he and his wife went out and bought cemetery plots and said, God, if you want us to die here, we'll die here. And these men began to pray together. And they, as they did, God began to show them uh, about their community, that it wasn't a sleepy little community. It was the amphetamine, drug amphetamine capital of Southern California. It was the headquarters of the Church of Scientology, of the Maharishi Yogi, of a few other uh, cult groups. And uh, hmm? American Indian, American Indian uh, history was there. Uh, the, the police were corrupt. They were act even helping transport drugs out of the community. Uh, the educational system was the laughing stock of uh, educators in that part of Southern California. I mean, it was a, not a good place to be. And uh, so they began to pray, and they began to enlist uh, other people in praying, and praying intelligently after doing their, their spiritual mapping of the place, and praying that God would break down these things. And today, Hemet, California has a Christian mayor, a Christian police chief, Christian fire chief, Christian superintendent of schools. 85% of the people who apply to teach in their schools are Christians. The police have been reformed. Uh, the gangs have been converted. One day, uh, one of the leading gang members, third generation gang, 
came down the center aisle of one of these churches and walked up to the preacher. The preacher didn't know what was going on with his gang member, but he says, I want to get saved right now. <laughs> and he got saved and the gang got saved and Hema, California is a changed city. So it can be done, you know. But even, even in Hema, California, I would dare say that there's a real struggle between the affluence, you know, that we have a right to the good life as over against we have uh, a keen responsibility to use the resources we have to evangelize the world. And it would be easy to get self-centered even in a place like that and just be glad that we've got our problems solved. Too bad about the rest of the world. Uh, we see a, a lot of signs. I wrote in my Christmas uh, uh, letter uh, that uh, we say, God bless America, and I say that's fine if you add what uh, you do, what David did in the Psalms, where he said, God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. What? That thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. If we're just saying, God bless us, you know, too bad about the rest of the world, that's not Christian. That's not Christian. God bless us, that thy way may be known upon earth. I'll come to this side. You said that you may be described as a Calvinian. Yes. <laughs> Yes. What do you say to the strict believers of predestination using their, that use the scriptures to support that belief? What do you say to them to support the view that you have free will? Well, uh, the question is, uh, what do I say to uh, uh, Reformed theologians or people who believe in Reformed theology from my Calminian position to uh, be a little more uh, uh, balanced in it? First of all, I assume that uh, I probably am not going to convince them. A uh, man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. So I don't uh, go at this uh, too uh, vigorously, but I would, uh, I would first probably say what I said before about limited uh, sovereignty, self-limitation on sovereignty, that, that that you've got to start with that or, or you, you have to end up with the other. The other thing that I, I think, whether I would say this to them, I don't know, but I would say it to you as a group at least, that I see that, that uh, theological system as meeting a need in my life for the security of having everything tied down. And the five points of Calvinism are very logical, and if you believe one, you really have to believe all of them to make them fit. Uh, and uh, it gets you to the point where you, you can kind of relax because now you've got it all figured out. And my view is that uh, we've just always got to keep our system open on the Godward side. We're just always going to be growing, God's going to be stretching us, and that uh, I, I sense a certain smugness in some people I talk to, and I'm not saying they're all like this, but uh, you know, I've had people come up to me at conferences where I've spoken and uh, just kind of look down their long theological noses at me because, you know, I haven't discovered the truth, and the truth is just, you know, I, I, that's uh, I, part of my problem with, with that, that I think it's a, uh, there's a certain human need to uh, have that kind of security. Now, I know that they, you know, that make them very unhappy, but... Uh, but do you have a scriptural support a scripture? for the self oh. on, on this, this Well, the, 
the uh, statements uh, on his free will, whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed with the image of his son. Uh, he is able to keep you if you do so and so. There are so many of those if clauses in the scriptures that have to be pretty much overlooked. Uh, I, uh, uh, the Hebrews 6 passage, uh, the interpretation depends on your interpretation of a, a Greek participle. Uh, the literal translation is it is impossible to renew him to repentance, crucifying the Son of God afresh, fresh. And in the Greek, you can interpret the participle in a whole variety of ways. It can be causal, it can be uh, uh, temporal, uh, uh, it, it could be translated while he crucifies the Son of God afresh, 